This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Welcome, everyone. Uh, it's my great honor to be here tonight with Maya Taylor, award-winning actress for her incredible performance in the film we've just seen. So to begin, I have a few questions, and then we'll open it up. I'm sure that the audience will have questions as well. As you've said in interviews, you came from almost nothing, Mm -hmm. got this role after being discovered at at the L.A. LGBT Center, and then made history at the 31st Film Independent Spirit Awards as the first trans actress to ever win at the annual ceremony, beating out Cynthia Nixon, Jennifer Jason Leigh, and other established artists. It's interesting, of course, that your character in the film also has ambitions to get into show business. Um, To what extent did you or did you not draw on your personal history or that of friends in creating this role? So in creating this role, I wanted to completely take it um, away from myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to make her from scratch. But, you know, um, shoot, this is the difference. The difference is, at that time, I was so insecure about myself. Mm-hmm. Like, I had just started my transition. Um, I felt like, you know, I still looked half and half. And, and of course, I did. But, um, <laughs> you really. know, um, I was insecure, like mm-hmm. heavily insecure. But I knew that the character needed to be really confident. And people often ask me, like, what's the difference between Maya and Alexandra? Mm-hmm. Maya was really insecure. And, like, I used to wear shades all the time just to hide most of my face. But I knew that going on screen, I needed to come out of that and make her just feel like the most powerful thing in the world. Mm -hmm. And, like, when I look at it, I I see that. I mean, she's what I want it to be. So Yeah, no, she's classy and confident. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tell us about how you met the filmmakers and the collaborative process between you, Sean Breaker, and Chris Burgoch. In in developing the character and the film itself. So, um, one day, I was sitting outside the LGBT Center on Mm -hmm. Santa Monica and McCadden in Los Angeles. And um, I was talking to my friends about something that was, it's probably unimportant. But um, (laughs) Sean and Chris Bagash came over and they were like, well, you know, we're working on this project and we're trying to do research for um, our project, and, you know, I really wanted to know what it was, and they were like, well, you know, it it could possibly be a film. So there wasn't a script or anything like that yet, but, you know, they wanted to know more information about the area and um, draw from some of our life experiences, and I guess I was the only one that was really open to, like, really, you know, telling him the tea (laughs) on everything, and, you know, he fell in love with my personality, And next thing I know, we had another meeting, and Mm -hmm. then I bought um, Kiki, Katana Kiki Rodriguez, Mm -hmm. Cindy, to the meeting, and he saw the two of us side by side, and he said, Sean says that, you know, I'm the classy one, and (laughs) Kiki is, um, well, she's a really nice girl, you know, so... uh, (laughs) She's a sassy one. (laughs) Exactly, and we were so opposite. And that's what he liked, and he saw that, and he wanted us to be on screen. So that's how it started. Well, as I said um, to the audience while you were still in the green room, but the film, obviously, it radiates a a candor and intimacy Mm -hmm. and tenderness that's remarkable in so many ways. 
Um, and no more so, of course, in the friendship between Alexandra and Cindy, mm-hmm. which is the emotional center of the film. Did you and your co-star know each other well before you worked together in the film? You just said that you brought her in with Sean. I mean, Sean said he wants to learn more. You thought she would be someone Mm -hmm. he should meet. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, um, at that time, I only had one best friend, and it was um, Alfred Lopez, who you'll see in in the color wall scene where he's like, girl, you don't want to go back to jail, mama. You just got out. That's my best friend, the guy with the glasses. And um, I met her through him. And then we all lived together. Ah. And um, I knew that she had a history in acting, you know, through school and everything like that. And I knew that um, that's, that's what she wanted to do. And I said, you know what? Look, let's do this together. And that's why I brought her on. And she was completely sweet. I mean, I didn't really know too much about her. Right. Like, we weren't that close. But um, during the filming of everything, like, we, we read our lines off screen together. And, you know, we just we created this bond. And I guess that's the bond that you really see mm-hmm. as friends on TV. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, many have remarked uh, about the Los Angeles setting for the film. Long sections of the film consist of shots of people walking and walking to get anywhere, and the car culture of Los Angeles is fairly amazing, Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes waiting for buses that never arrive. Um, How did shooting on location in Hollywood and Little Armenia impact the way you crafted the characters uh, for the story of the film? And are there impressions of your own about the city when you first moved from L.A. to move to L.A. from Houston that you brought to the film? No, um... In the beginning, it was sort of difficult um, doing the film actually in the location mm-hmm. because there were so many people that we knew that were, you know, on the streets passing through mm-hmm. or, you know, who lived in the area or whatever. And then sometimes, like, we could be in the middle of a shot and, you know, we're here shooting on iPhones. We're like, hey, girl, what you doing? <laughs> you just messed up my shot and I have to do this again. <laughs> you know, like, it was stuff like that that... <laughs> Yeah. Well, as we were talking about um, before the screening, uh, a couple of weeks ago we saw a couple of uh, episodes of Transparent and talked Mm -hmm. about L.A. And uh, the scholar who was here who's written about Transparent and also Tangerine, um, and very, you know, compellingly and lovingly. But she also remarks on how what's so wonderful about Tangerine is this different L.A. Or this L.A. that, whereas in, in Transparent, it's this completely white world seen through the, you know, the windshield of a Mercedes. Whereas here we have this L.A. from, you know, all kinds of walking culture, driving, um, car washes, um, the metro, everything, you know. It's, it's just raw. It's, it, it's real. Right. You know, um, I remember living in, in Houston, um, in Texas, like when I was like, what, 15, 16 years old, and like I'd see on TV, you know, um, what they said was L.A. was Beverly Hills. You know, that's what you see. You see all the fast sports cars and the movie stars, the glamour, the clothes, the diamonds, the jewels and all this stuff. But when you go to um, actual L.A., you're like, where, where is that? You know, like, <laughs> what's this? Um, so, you know, it's, it's a very real interpretation of how it actually is, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, some people actually do live that very, very fast and glamorous life, but, you know, there's not many people who can just afford to live like that. So we show what it was actually like to not live like that. So. Right. right. No, but it's also this, you know, this, uh, and it's Christmas Eve, and it's, yeah. Yeah, it's 
Anyways, we'll come back to that. Um, You've expressed in many interviews that you see this as an important time for women in the industry and that you hope to really serve as an advocate for trans women in filmmaking. You've also observed that typecasting has been a significant barrier in the past, and I wonder if you would speak to whether you're seeing signs that there's been any kind of change and progress in this regard on what you see as the future. So, yeah, I do kind of feel like myself as an advocate for other trans women because there's not many trans women who's doing it. And I feel like since I have the platform, I might as well, like, don't be selfish and do it for myself. You know, like, open up and, like, try to help other people. Like, you know, here I am coming into this business, and, you know, this business, you know, you there's, there's money involved into this business. And, you know, here I am moving up, but then I look at the people who I left in the streets, and they're still doing the same thing. And, you know, I know that it's difficult and hard to get out of those situations. So what I can do is, you know, try to open up my voice to reach out, you know, to make the change in the community. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, tell us about the characters, Dinah uh, and Razmik, um, both of, of whom are professional actors. Were there challenges working with a cast of professional actors as, uh, alongside non-professional actors? As for the characters it would, they play, the second part is, it would seem, although they may not have to deal with the specific stigmas and abuses that plague Alexandra and Cindy on a regular basis, they turn out to be really, if anything, leading even more frustrating and frustratingly constricted lives. Do you agree? So first, just the professional, non-professional actors. What was it like working with them, and what did they bring to the film? And then their characters. Well, um, I'm going to answer this, but I'm going to go back to the the one that we, because i got some more tea to tell. But um, (laughs) working with them, okay, it's, it's not just about, okay, let's say you have a script in your hand and you give it to me and then here I am just reading the script over and over and over. It's hard to really get the gist of like what it's about and like, you know, to really get into it unless you have somebody there reading the other part and you're feeding off of each other. The more you go over that part over and over and over, the more you really, really get off into that script Mm -hmm. and the more you become that character. So that's how the more seasoned actors helped a lot. Right. Now, as far as being typecasted. So, so after Tangerine, I got a manager, and um, I was doing like a few auditions and everything. But I noticed all of my auditions had to do with being a prostitute or being killed or being some you know some type of victim, right. transgender, of course. And um, I didn't trans- transition just to be known right. as just the transgender actress. I transitioned to be a woman. And, you know, um, I'm at the point where I look woman enough to play woman parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, woman roles, <laughs> woman roles, you know what I mean. Yeah, but, yeah <laughs> not their parts. parts. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> and <laughs> that was a good one. But I, that was, I was. <laughs> but I, I wasn't getting that. I was getting all these prostitution roles. Mm-hmm. And then the more I go to these colleges, the more I, I meet more LGBT students and everything. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm preaching about um, we shouldn't just be thrown into one category Absolutely. all the time. We shouldn't just be known as prostitutes on TV and everything because that's what people are going to think of us. And I just, I, I just I won't stand for it. But now I have a new manager. 
And he's been doing an amazing job with giving me auditions and everything. I think I've had him for like two weeks now, and I've probably done, what, six or seven auditions uh-huh. already and so many different plans. And he's, he's amazing. He's a pistol. Let's just say that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a big 360, and we're going to see where it goes. Just to go back to the other characters in the film, I said Dinah, mm-hmm. and because really when we get to the end, um, Alexandra and Cindy, they make a man, and it's a very moving scene in the laundromat, and you know, just the arc of the film, as I said, where it begins when she's you know just out of jail, and they're mm-hmm. talking really, you know, excitedly, and and then we get to the end where it's this very moving that there's a real, they really are best friends, they really do love each other. And but whereas the Dinah character can't even get back in, and of course, if Cindy is Cinderella, um, it's Dinah who loses her shoe and finally, you know, throws away the other one. But it's locked out, not even let back into the hideous uh, yeah. room number five. And of course, Rasmick and his mother-in-law and that whole scene. You know, there's not a lot of joy. So here, as we end this Christmas uh, Eve tale, it's the, the real heart of the film. Or, or, I mean, the real uh, warmth and sense of possibility is with with Alexandra and Cindy. So, I'm just wondering if you you know what others have said or what you think about the you know these other characters that fill this world that lead really frustrating, limited lives. It happens. <laughs> it happens. Um, shoot. Well. I mean, it's no secret. In my past, I, I was a sex worker. And, you know, I can't tell you how many married men came to see me, you know? Um, and it's sad, and it does kind of destroy family. Cheating is cheating, period. Right. And it's sad, but um, that's why we put it inside the movie, because, you know, this stuff really happens. Right. Now, the whole thing with Dinah, um, you know, this part, it was kind of made up and everything, but, I mean... It's, it's sad to me, too, because she got involved in some stuff that she really didn't mean to get involved in. You know, it was kind of bought to her. Mm-hmm. And now she's lost her place of where she lives, you know? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. No, it's just sad at the end. They're really lonely. It and is. And for all the crap that's gone down, Cindy and Alexander are, t- Alexander are together. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, um, for the scene where we had to... Um, do the the wig exchange and stuff like you know that would not would not have happened in real life, but um, <laughs> but we at first I did not want to do that scene because I was like um, like why, but you know I I really got the significance of it. Now Kiki on the other hand, like she was totally against it, and um, uh, why? Because she <laughs> no shade. I'm not being shady. Okay, I'm not being shady. <laughs> but her hair was like this long underneath, like the wig, and like she just didn't want to... She, she had cut her own hair already, you know, because mm-hmm. she was going through a lot, and she just wanted to kind of start over on, you know, a lot of stuff. So she cut her hair short and everything, and plus, you know, it was damaged. But, um... <laughs> no shade, I'm not being shady. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Um, we had to have the crew to block off the whole washeteria mm-hmm. because she didn't want anybody to see her oh. without, you know, her hair on and everything. But, mm-hmm. you know, eventually um, she came around after she saw the finished product. Mm-hmm. And um, I love it, too. I think that it's so touching and everything. I know 
that I wouldn't do it in real life, but you know, it's nice to see on TV. So, <laughs> although I would say when with the wig exchange, I, I think they're both so beautiful. There's not this sense that this somehow masculinizes them or anything. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the opposite. You know, I there's yeah. the I you can feel in the way that the scene is played a hesitancy like, you know, no way. I'm not doing that, but it's filled with urine and, you know, it's like, no, you have to yeah. and the and the Christmas gifts. So you might have done it on a Christmas Eve. Maybe. No, I I guess it it kind of um goes to like, you know, a woman's mm. hair is her glory. I agree. And um <laughs> And, um, <laughs> you know, um, it shows how tight their friendship was mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. Alexandra to even take that off right. and give it to her friend. That's saying, I really, really love right. you, and I'm really, really sorry. Right. Although, you know, in the storyline, it was only once. Oh, that's all it takes. You know, it was only once. Like, we would not have been friends. Right. Okay. Right. But <laughs> right. I just have to things. put that out there. <laughs> In spite of its orange skies and Los Angeles setting, Tangerine is at heart a Christmas movie mm-hmm. about family and friendship. Uh, this is brought home in the final sequence, of course, but even earlier when your character sings Toyland, yeah. uh, made famous by Doris Day. Can you tell us who made this song choice, which describes a little, boy in, uh, little girl in Boyland comprising childhood and where borders between genders seem at once clear and obvious, obviously fictions, too? So, in the beginning, I did not want to do this song. I did not want to do it. I, did, I just thought I was like, this is too old. And, Wait, you're um, sounding like Dinah. <laughs> oh, that's how I really felt in the beginning. I yeah. wanted to do, everybody knows that Tony and Tamar Braxton are my favorite singers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I love Tony Braxton's voice. It's so sexy and seductive. And she had this Christmas song called Santa Please. And that's what I really wanted to do. And Sean reached out, and he was like, oh, no, we can't do it. They're, they're going to charge us $50,000. And, you know, that's almost the whole budget. So, <laughs> so um, Sean had a song. I don't know why Toyland was so important to him, but he really wanted so me to do choice. it. it was his choice. Yeah, it was his choice. He really wanted me to do it, and we did it. But you know what? He reached out to Terrence Lee Jones. Terrence Lee Jones, as you know, there's five Braxtons. There's Tony Braxton, Tawanda, Tracy, Trina, and Tamar. Terrence Lee Jones is all of their vocal coach, and he trained me for the song. Wow. Yeah. I've read that you're developing a television show of your own uh, with Sean Baker. Well, where did you read that at? I read it today in an interview. Oh. Well, maybe it's just coming out. No. Well, tell us what projects you are working on. Oh, <laughs> I was like, well, that comes to a surprise to me. Well, we did but, say that you should do a, a tangerine, too, Yeah, a- after I'm, Christmas. You know, we thought about that. I don't know how it got leaked, but we thought about that. And um, we were actually going to work on it, but then Sean um, went to go and film um, his own film and this and that. And it, it, was just, it was just one big mess. And I was like, okay, no, ma'am. So... Um, <laughs> What I'm working on now, I'm just doing a lot of auditions, and um, I'm kind of um, remapping my career because I'm under new management now. Mm-hmm. So um, I just want to start fresh. And, you know, um, we're doing um, a whole list of other things that I really just cannot go into. Yeah. But just know that I'm active. You know, um, I did Happy Birthday, Marsha, right after Tangerine. And then after that, I did Diane from the Moon. And then um, I did Viva Diva and none of those. Well, Diane from the Moon is out. 
but it's a short film. It went through um, a few festivals, but um, I'm waiting for Happy Birthday, Marsha. That's mm -hmm. gonna be my big one. And when, what's the story there? So, Happy Birthday, Marsha is about Marsha P. Johnson. Mm -hmm. I actually play a real life person who actually existed. And, you know, that's what was so sweet to me because Marsha P. Johnson is a trans activist who was killed in 1992. Um, you know, what got me into her and doing the script was, um, I was watching an interview with like a few old friends of hers and they were explaining that, you know, Marsha didn't really have anything. She would make a little bit of money, then she'd go to a store, buy a bag of cookies, and then by the time she gets home, the cookies are gone because she's given it out to all the other people who are less fortunate. That right there is what's, when I said, okay, I wanna do this role. You know, on top of Marsha being a complete free spirit, you know, um, back then glamour was so different from what glamour is today. You know, she did what she had to do with, you know, it, it would be crazy makeup to us today, but, you know, that was her expressing herself. Like if you Google Marsha P. Johnson, you'd see, you know, she draw her eyebrows on and these big wigs and, you know, it's, I don't know, she was just a character and she was so full of life and I said, I wanna play that role. Wow. And I did it and um, I did it two years ago and I just finished filming it because I went back to um, film a few more scenes with them probably like nine or 10 months ago. And it's just, that's, that project is my baby. It's, it's very dear to me, which I don't understand why the hell they're taking so long to put it out. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> It'll be out, and it's going to be good. So be looking out for it. We will. Yeah. Well, I think we can take questions from the audience. So if you have questions, Matt has the... Yes. Hello. Yeah, how you, do how you doing? Um, I love your performance, by the way. Um, now, I just want to ask, because um, you just said you got a lot more confidence. Now I'm saying I want to ask, if you did the role today, would you think it'd be way different, or would you think it'd be just as good as you did the first time? I really don't know. That's a good question. I would think that it would be a little different. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. Oh, there's so much. There's so much deep off into that that I could answer, but it'll it'll take up this whole session. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. It probably would be different. I don't know whether it's going to be different in a good way or a bad way, because. Um, at that time, you know, I guess that role kind of helped me to mold myself into what I am today, too. So, yeah, it would be different. Hello. Thank you very much. Uh, I had two questions. One, how did you... You only give one. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> great. What a, great. Um, uh, I really enjoyed the, the relationship that you had with uh, your, your co-star. So can you please talk about how your childhood and your and your um, your growing up to um, your own identity frame that type of uh, friendship because it was very strong and it was very tender and sweet and uh, it felt like family. So uh, mm. one and then two, how did the streets of L.A. become like another actor? It, it was very um, a lot of it was very cold and. Um, and uh, kind of very uh, mechanical and brutal, but you guys uh, warmed it up very well. It was uh, there was so much life in your performance 
that everything else kind of melted away? Well, I can answer the second question easier than I can answer the first one. But so Sean Baker and Chris Bergosh and Darren Dean and Shiching Suo and James Renzon and so on, everybody who was involved inside the whole production. But let's start with Sean because Sean is, you know, Sean and Chris Bergosh, the reason why, you know, I'm here today. They were just so sweet and they were just so open to direction. You know, remember they didn't come to us with a script. We gave them the story and they put it down on paper. You know, they did all of their research and um, they let us pretty much have our say-so in what went on in the script. And I felt like the connection was just, it was just so insane. It was just so strong. And we never had any arguments. There was never any divaness or anything like that. You know, we just all collaborated so like, what would I say, liquidy. Like it just, it worked. It really just worked. And I don't know, it was just a whole bunch of practice and preparation. And um, we had just became a big family. So when it came to Cindy and Alexandra's relationship, we had just grew closer, just even through the role and everything, because we weren't that close to begin with. I mean, you know, we, we speak and everything, especially living in the same household, but um, I don't know. The, the role really helped us grow together just as a family. And plus, because we knew that we were probably doing something great, you know? But never in a million years did I think that I would be the first trans woman to have an Oscar campaign, to win a Spirit Award, a Gotham Award, San Francisco Film Critics Award. You know, I, I did not know that. And yeah, that's just the magic behind it. Thank you so much. It's so, such a pleasure to have you here. Um, I am curious because of, um, I, I, we hear often that women have body criticism in Hollywood. I wonder what that's like for you. I don't know how to ask it in a, like the correct way. <laughs> So, months ago, well, let's say probably like 10, 11 months ago, I was a size 16. Um, that's when I was, you know, peaking, like the height of, you know, um, a little bit before that, somebody on my own team told me that if I didn't start eating healthy and if I didn't lose weight, then I was going to start getting the roles of fat best friend instead of lead roles. And yes, it did crush me. And um, I just went and I got some McDonald's. But uh, <laughs> for real, I even have a Facebook video about it. But um, <laughs> what's wrong with fat best friend? <laughs> I see that as a leading role. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's hard. Like, like, even think about, I think um, Lady Gaga did, um, she did a performance where her stomach was out. And Gaga is thin. And you know, people were pointing out that she had a little pouch. And, you know, I'm like, what the f are you talking about? Like, she is so pretty and like, you know, and plus, you know, a woman naturally has a slightly a little pouch anyway. Like people, don't think about what people say about you. Just do what you gotta do for you. And plus, my man don't like nothing thin anyway. So. <laughs> 
Did that answer your question? <laughs> Life advice. Yeah. Hi. Um, I was so impressed with the film, so thank you. Thank you. Um, it did occur to me the life of a sex worker is a tough life. <laughs> and um, I felt in, in the film they sort of depict it as a bit of a family feeling, like the, the women seem to know each other. Um, you mentioned you were a sex worker. You, you were able to get out of that life. In your research, in your own experience, what is the life? Do most women get out of it? Um, how do they exist? Do they live together? Do they support each other through this? What, what's that like? Well, I'm going to open up about something. When I first went out um, being a sex worker, I was put out there from a family member. And, um, you know, eventually, like, she left me. And, you know, she um, basically, she used me to support both of us. And now, you know, she's gone somewhere and we don't speak. You know, it's a long story and everything. But um, she had said, don't try to get to know any of those girls because they're all catty, they're all mean, and this and that. And that's true for some of them and everything. But I feel like I've met better strangers than my own family members. And they had become family. And... You know, we bonded and we stuck together. You know, if, if I didn't eat, then this bitch didn't eat. You know, like, if we had 25 cents, then we'll go get a pack of ramen noodles and we'll eat it together. True story. And that's just how it was. There are some people who get out of it. Let me tell you my own experience, though, because I can't speak for other people. Being transgender, like, um, at that time period, you know, when I just started my transition... You notice I look a little different now than what I look like there because I'm much softer now, you know, more passable now. And at that time, I was applying for jobs and everything, and um, my ID still said male on it, and, you know, it still said my old name on it, and I was getting discriminated against so much, and I just, I really just wanted a job so I can get off of my friend's floor and, like, live a normal life and have an apartment and support myself. And I just couldn't. So when Tangerine came along, it saved me. Because then the checks started rolling in. This bought her a Benz. She didn't buy <laughs> you know, True story. <laughs> and, you know, but I was one of the fortunate ones. You know, think about the people who didn't have that opportunity. So I don't know. And then, you know, there are some people who have tried the same thing. You know, they try to apply for jobs and get jobs and stuff like this. And, you know, eventually they get turned down so much that they go on to drugs and, you know, and alcohol and stuff like this to numb their feelings. And, you know, um, it just, it's like a domino effect. So, yeah. Hello. Um, I just wanted to know, why was this an important trans narrative um, for you all to produce? Well, I guess because it tells, like, a true life story, you know, because, okay, there's stories out there that are written by cis people and acted by cis people, and we needed to bring a different element to it. You know, we needed to be 
um, our own voice. And, you know, let me go into this. Let me just go into this. Okay, so there's The Danish Girl, which, you know, you know the film The Danish Girl, where it was Eddie playing a transgender woman. And, you know, then they were up for an Oscar and everything. But Tangerine was a low-budget film that got, you know, talked about pretty much in the same category as this film. So why didn't we get the Oscar nomination or, you know, you know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's not fair. I mean, what we were trying to do is, we're just trying to like, I don't know what the f I'm trying to say. What am I trying to say, Aaron? What am I trying to say? I'm, I have it on the tip of my tongue, but... What am I you're trying to say? What you're trying to say is that uh, on a low-budget film, you're able to bring real trans voices and experiences to the screen, which is different than films that made about trans people that aren't necessarily written by or, or featuring trans people. There we go. And I think, as I, 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 I want to say for as the last film in our series, and I believe more and more I know how important fiction and storytelling is. I mean, with all the news that we read and all the news that we can't daily, we need stories that put these things and this experience into contact, into some context. And I think what's so wonderful about Tangerine, it is a film about trans women, starring trans women, about living in L.A., in an L.A. that is very diverse with people living all kinds of identities and difficulties and frustrations. But at the heart of it is hope, and love, and what else do you need? With that, That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.